Hey everybody, welcome to the Rural Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Larson, and today we're bringing you a fun interview with Anna Brakefield of Redland Cotton. Anna is a cotton farmer's daughter, and she's sharing the story about how she and her dad decided to try something a little different with the family cotton farm. The result is a top quality, 100% American-made product, and we'll let Anna tell you more about that. Anna, you are a cotton farmer's daughter from Alabama. What was it like growing up on a cotton farm? <laughs> it was nothing as romantic as what I feel like you see on TV. Okay. Um, it was a lot of nights with dad out in the field and going to bring him dinner and um, playing in. <laughs> we would have our friends over and Um, You know, it was like a completely different experience for them, even though they grew up, you know, not 10 miles away from us, but we would bring them out to our house and the fun things that we would do is go play in the cotton field and go jump in a cotton bale. Um, So (laughs) I guess those are not really um, average childhood experiences, but those are the things that come to mind when when you think about being raised a cotton farmer's daughter. And maybe typical for a lot of farm kids, I think. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So your journey eventually took you away from the farm all the way to New York City. Yeah, so, and I guess I could probably find a lot of um, similarities with farm kids or kids from ag communities. Um, You know, my primary goal when I was growing up was to get out. Um, so after college, I made a big old list of all of the different advertising agencies that I could go to in, in New York City, and I applied to all of them, and one of them was crazy enough to give me a job, this little <laughs> girl from Alabama, and so a month after I graduated from Auburn University with a degree in graphic design, um, I moved to New York City and I worked there um, at an advertising firm working for uh, accounts like Amex and BMW um, and just really had an invaluable experience there. Um, I like to say that I got a degree from NYU, but I didn't pay the tuition. (laughs) Um, So so yeah, I mean, it was an amazing experience. So good. Well, um, somewhere along the line, then came this fortuitous Instagram post that sort of sparked this whole idea of Redland Cotton. Yeah. So after my two-year stint in New York, I moved back um, back close to home, but not fully at home. I moved to Nashville, um, married my husband, and I was working here. And Over the 2015 Christmas holidays, my dad approached me with the idea of taking our cotton um, that he'd been growing since the 80s on our farm and taking it all the way into a finished textile good. And what inspired this idea was during the 2015 cotton harvest, um, 
my brothers and I had gotten him set up on Instagram. And he had posted a video of a guy um, moving cotton bales on a forklift. And, and his sister, who lives in Dallas, Texas, commented on the Instagram post and said, I would sure love some sheets made out of that good-looking North Alabama cotton. And it's so funny to say that that's really what started it all. Um, because, I mean, I think dad has always been ambitious and wanted to see more of a result from his cotton crop than just what he was able to get per pound. Um, yeah. You know, I think any any farmer uh, sees the end result of their labor and is like, where am I missing out on this part? Yeah. Um, so he's always been thinking about that, but that just kind of hit home for him. Like, well, maybe I can do this. Uh Um, and he knew that I wasn't really happy with the job that I had here. And he was just like, what do you think about doing this, this with me? And I was like, you know, maybe Uh let's sit down and think about it. Um, so yeah, that's how the, the brainchild got started. Wow. So how did you decide what direction to go with the cotton? Did you know right away that you wanted to do linens or did you consider other options? (laughs) Yeah. So um, in February of 2016, we took our cotton classings to Cotton Incorporated in Cary, North Carolina, and sat down with their experts and said, this is is what we're producing on our farm. This is what we're ginning and putting out there. What what do you think we can do with this? Um, and they affirmed what we wanted to hear, that we are growing exceptional upland cotton with long staple, good color, um, and that we can pretty much do what we want to do with it. And so in just looking at the market, there were some farmers who had already been taking their cotton and turning them into t-shirts or polos. Um, And dad's immediate thought was, what is the biggest textile that could consume most of my cotton? And um, sheets, sheets were where we landed. And um, we came to find soon after that there was a reason why other people had not made sheets from their own cotton. That it was um, a very hard thing to do. Wow. Um, But so, yeah, that's that's kind of how how we got the idea. And then we went about trying to put put together that supply chain. Wow. So you decided on linens. Then what was the inspiration behind the design of your sheets and what you wanted your finished product to look like? Yeah. So we were encouraged to go to the department store or, um, Belks or Macy's and find a set of sheets that we really liked and they could emulate those. Okay. And <laughs> we were like, that sounds so unoriginal and gross. <laughs> um, no, we don't want to do that. Um, we're not sure what we're going to do, but we're not doing that. Um, and then, and it's so funny for, um, this very masculine farmer, uh, to get nostalgic about his grandmother's sheets. But, um, he was talking to me about how when he slept over at his grandmother's house growing up, the sheets were crunchy and, um, 
but they were so cool and and those were just the most comfortable sheets and that's what he wanted to make and you know I think from a designer's perspective you kind of listen to what people are telling you and you take it in and you form a story around it and I said I you know thinking about the farm to home thing and then thinking about what what home feels like and so I I think I said I think that that's beautiful now we just need to find your grandma's sheets yeah um and we we did not personally have any so we started asking around um at our home church and we asked in their bible class um does anybody have any old linens like a, a trousseau or something like that and one of our good friends had these massive um containers of old bed sheets and they were beautiful there was handmade tatted lace um hand done um monogramming just really beautiful and she let us go through those (laughs) tubs of sheets and pillowcases and pull some out let us sleep on them I mean these things were over a hundred years old and they were still holding up beautifully and I did not sleep on them first, but mom and dad slept on them and they called me and they were like, this is it. This is what we want to make. And I was like, I'll meet you at the Cracker Barrel and we can look at these and talk about them. <laughs> um, so I met them halfway between Nashville and Alabama at a Cracker Barrel and we looked at these sheets and said, this is it. So um, from there, we sent that old bed sheet to some textile engineers. Um, They cut off a little piece of it and were able to analyze the yarn size, the weave construction, and pretty much gave us the formula for recreating your grandmother's sheets. Wow. It was totally worth it to go the extra mile and not just go to Belk and get a department store set of sheets. Yeah, that's great. So what then was the process like to figure out how to recreate the sheet? Did you have any idea where to start? No. (laughs) (laughs) So I think, you know, when you're looking at your business, it's important to see where you need to fill in the gaps. And once we had kind of looked at the supply chain that we were going to need to create, we decided we needed a consultant of some sort. Um, perf- I think my dad said, I would prefer an old retired textile man, and it would be a plus if he was a Methodist. <laughs> and <laughs> and the, the guy that we found is not a Methodist, but he's great. And um, he is an old retired textile guy. By old, I mean, he's my dad's age. Um <laughs> But he kind of helped us form those relationships with the manufacturers that are still here in the States. And we went and visited them. As I said, like the ones that are still surviving in the States are their family businesses. And there's a reason why they haven't gone out of business. They've been very smart. So it took us going into their conference rooms and saying, this is what we want to do. Can you 
take a chance on us. Take a chance on these small runs of finishing lots. Um, this small 48 bales minimum to do a lay down of just our cotton. Um, and can you dedicate a loom to us? And, and they all kind of took a chance on us. Wow. So, um, so just thankfully and by the grace of God, like all of those pieces really, um, came together. Um, and for us in the moment, it felt like forever, but when you look at putting together a supply chain and starting in March and having a finished product in October, it really did go very quickly. Wow. And were you able to go see every step of the process along the way? Yeah. I mean, that was really important to us too, that we get in there and we meet those people, see how, see how it went. And, you know, I think for my dad too, who had been growing cotton for such a long time, ginning cotton, but that was the last that he saw of it to actually see his cotton in the name, um, Redland cotton on the machines where it was going through. I think that was, that was huge for him. Um, so we saw the spinning of the yarn. We saw the weaving, the finishing, um, the cut and sew. I mean, even traveling all the way to New Jersey, um, it was important that we be involved in every step of the process so that we could understand and therefore communicate to our customers why this is important. And what a great moment that must have been when you finally got to hold those sheets in your hand. Oh my gosh. It was, it was ridiculous. They came in these big boxes. And at the time we were working out of the gin office. Um, so I had set up two racks of shelves and we got them in and starting in July of 2016, I had done these illustrations of the sheets, what they were going to look like. And I had sold them pre-order, um, primarily to people that knew us, but I mean, there were some people that didn't know us that had taken a chance on a drawing of (laughs) a set of sheets that were being manufactured entirely in the United States from one cotton growers crop. And, I think we had maybe 150 sets that we needed to ship. Okay. So when we got that the first sh- shipment of sheets, you can watch. If you say that real fast, you can really mess up. <laughs> um, and we got to shipping and packing. And it took us a few days and a few friends coming to help us out <laughs> in our gen office. Um one of the great things about small towns. Yeah. <laughs> Bring your fans and we'll feed you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, and we got them out and, you know, great for our confidence that we launched in that October, November time period um, because it was the gift giving season. Sure. And so that really encouraged us. And by the end of December, we felt like, okay, we've got something good here. We, we can do this. So awesome. So you started with sheets then, and now mm-hmm. you've actually expanded into several different lines of sheets and bath towels and bedding. Yeah, we're just nuts. <laughs> um, you know, it's... Because this has all happened really fast. It has. 
And really, you just kind of, you kind of listen to your customer about what they want, um, what they're looking from, from you to provide and try to see if you can make it happen. So expanding into duvets and shams was not very difficult because it's the same fabric. So same supply chain. Um, but making those towels was a completely different thing. Um, and same song and dance as before going to meet with people, telling them the story, would you take a chance in doing a small run and making bath towels for us? Um, and you know, again, we're just fortunate that other business owners see the potential, um, in partnerships and wanting to, to help us grow. Um, so we were able to add bath towels to our collection, um, last fall. And then we're continuing to grow and expand. And really, I mean, sometimes you have to tamp down your creativity because when you look at cotton and you've done one thing with it, it's kind of like, well, we can do so much with it. Uh Um, you kind of have to rein yourself in a little bit. Um, and just, just go as, like I said, the customers lead you and where it feels right. So going back to when you were first exploring this idea and trying to figure out what's it going to take to make these linens, were you afraid some of these people were going to come back and be like, this is going to cost you a fortune? Like, there's no way. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and it was. It was a lot. It's a lot to enter into any sort of manufacturing process. Um, so we did, we put together a, a presentation to try to get capital, um, and take on some investors and (laughs) nobody took us up on it. I think they all thought we were a little crazy. Um, but we made it work. As I said, I pre-sold sheets. We, um, did a little bit out of time. Um, Dad was able to help out and finance a little bit, and um, and and we were able to make it work. But yes, I mean the cost was definitely something that stared us in the face and made us kind of second guess it a little bit. Wow. Um, but but now here you are. But now here you are, and you just kind of have to conquer that beast and make sure your margins are where they need to be in your product and. Um, yeah. And you pay it. Yeah. Wow. So what then was that process like once you found out, okay, it's going to cost this much. How did you determine, okay, we now need to set pricing for our products and we probably need a brick and mortar shop to Mm -hmm. sell them at. And what was that whole process like? Yeah. Well, pretty much we looked at who our competitors would be, what they're setting their prices at. And making sure that we could still have a functional um, business and be able to make money and pay for all of our expenses, um, but still be competitive. So that's what really informed the price. Um, We stayed in dad's gen office for as long as we possibly could. We grew, grew from those two shelves that I had set up um, 
to about four in the office. And then we, this is going to sound so ridiculous, but we got these like two containers that you might like put on the back of a barge truck uh-huh. um, and set, <laughs> set up shelving in there and housed inventory in there. Um, and I'm talking, we were filling sheets, having to go outside in the rain to get the inventory out of these containers and then bring them back. I mean, it was definitely not sustainable, but it worked for the time that we needed it to. And uh, around July of last year, we were kind of like, we can't do this anymore. Uh Um, So one, we were like, we have to hire an employee um, and we have to get out of the gen office. We were literally pushing dad to a corner of his office. Um, and so there was an old cleaners building in our downtown um, square that had nobody had been in it for a few years. And we contacted the owners and they were willing to rent it for to us. Um, and we moved in. Wow. Yeah. And... And then um, this February, we bought that building and started doing renovations on it. So, so exciting. Very. <laughs> well, you and your dad have been really intentional about having a finished product that's 100% made in the USA. Do you find that that really strikes a chord with people? Definitely. I think that that's, um, that is the primary point that really gets people's attention that separates us from any other set of sheets that you can buy. And from there, from saying we're 100% American made, now let me tell you about our farm. Let me tell you about our manufacturing process and where it goes um, and who's being affected by those jobs. And, you know, let me tell you about our small town and our community and these group of women who are cutting and sewing our sheets. Mm-hmm. You know, once you um, hit the hit the chord of American made that is you know being spoken a lot right now in our political landscape, um, but then we can dive in deeper and tell the story beyond just made in the USA. Yeah, and I think most people probably don't realize that the majority of the sheets we buy are not made in the USA. Are any parts of them even made in the USA? No. Um, I don't have any um, hard numbers in front of me, but there are only two manufacturers left in the United States that are weaving wide enough that it would be sufficient for a sheeting product. Uh So, and the reality is all of that manufacturing went overseas um, in the 80s and 90s. when we were told that everybody was going to have a tech job and manufacturing wasn't going to exist anymore. Yeah. Um, so it's very true that, I mean, there's, there's some garments that are being manufactured in the United States, but as far as those like big wide goods, there are only two people doing it. So that really sets you guys apart. And I love that about your company. You've also been intentional to keep the heartbeat of this in your local community with the, with your farms and the shop and kind of like you were saying, um, just involving a lot of the community. So 
How has the local community responded and what does this mean for your town? Yeah, uh, they have responded with force. Um, when we first put together our supply chain, we were we were doing this, um, we wanted to do this decorative hem stitching on our sheets that we had found in the old bed sheets that I referenced earlier. And there was no manufacturing cut and sew that was willing to do it. They said it would take too much time and it was going to be too expensive. And we were like, no, we have come this far and put this together. We're not going back. And so we found this woman in New Jersey who had a small shop and she was willing to do it for us. So we started out there um, manufacturing the sheets. And then um, in December, we got a call from um, these ladies that have a cut and sew, unbeknownst to us, um, in our community. And I think they first asked if they could make shirts out of our fabric. And we were like, no, we're not really into shirts, but like, would you be interested in sewing our sheets? And I mean, they didn't have a cutting table for it. Um, we had to buy a hemstitch machine for them to use, but we wound up transferring all of our cut and sew business back to our hometown. Literally, we drive down the street and go pick up our inventory. That's incredible. Yeah, and I mean, they've been able to um, hire six to eight new employees in their facility alone. So as far as a community coming together and rallying around a business and another business helping another business, it's been really awesome to see that grow. Yeah, and they must love that you stayed true to your roots, even with the naming of your products. Definitely. Well, it was it's just another way that we can kind of get personal um, and tell about our community and tell about our farm. So we named our ticking stripe sheets the Lawrence Ticking Stripe. We, you know, our, we farm in Lawrence County. Our towels are the Leeton Bath Towel Collection. So we also farm in a little community of Leeton. Um, and then we have names for all of our fields. So like the Baker Lane duvet cover, the Abbey Church duvet cover. So just little bitty, little bitty parts of home that we can keep in our product. Love it. Well, I'm sure your experience in the marketing and advertising world in New York has been good training ground for what you're doing now. <laughs> Did you have anyone help guide you along the way or has this process mostly been you and your family just figuring this out one step at a time? It's primarily been the latter. Um, there's been a lot of, you know, dad has run a very successful business in farming. Mm -hmm. um, so he is very helpful in training me on the side of business. Um, and yes, I have marketing background and savvy. So I was able to put together that brand and help tell that story. But as far as, you know, selling your products online and building a website and uh, running Facebook ads and all of the above, there's a lot of time spent on Google. Yes. And a lot of a lot of time just sitting there until one or two in the morning figuring something out. And, and I think that that experience is invaluable too, because now if anybody has an issue, I know how to fix it. 
Yeah. And it might not be pretty, and it may not be the most correct way to fix it, but I do have a solution. <laughs> That's so good. So now you're able to split your time between Nashville and the farm, and you know I'm sure a lot of that is due to technology and all that we can do with that, but also, how fun must it be for your dad to be working alongside you? I bet he loves it. Yes, and he works alongside me in such a different capacity than he does with my brothers, who also work on the farm with him. Um, so <laughs> when I come into town, he'll come up to the store and like check on things at the store. And um, when we when we do our commercials and stuff. He'll come up to Nashville and, um, and stay with us to record those commercials. It's kind of the, really the best of both worlds having him there at the farm and he can manage that aspect of things, but then I can still be here with really good internet and, um, and resources here. Um, that can help me continue to grow our brand. And one thing that's great about Nashville too, is they really seem to support local businesses and people starting out as entrepreneurs. So has that been a help to you too? Definitely. You know, I mean, I think the more that you live around Nashville, everybody has some sort of a side hustle. Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> like I, I see that you're a pharmacist and you work at Vanderbilt, but like, what, what do you, what do you do? Yeah. You know, I, I understand that that's how you uh, get a paycheck, but what do you really do? Yeah. Um, so I think that sense of everybody is on a journey that may not be the most conventional one kind of helps you along and say, well, I'm not weird. Yeah. It's not just me. Right. Yeah. Everybody's doing it. Yeah. What has been the most fun part of this journey for you? I think every time we launch a new product or bring something into the world, kind of, um, the reward is so great. And you've sat there and you've worked on it and you've been rejected by people (laughs) and um, things haven't gone your way on some parts, but yet you've worked for it and it's here. Every time that we're able to do that, that's just the funnest thing. So good. Well, what you've started has obviously been a big hit, and you've had a great response. You've been featured in a lot of magazines and gotten some great press in just a short amount of time, too. So where do you go from here, and what can we expect next from Redland Cotton? Yeah, so... um Right now, we're still using a pretty small percentage of the cotton that we produce annually. So um, that's really the goal is to continue to grow, get our name out there. And eventually, my dad says, I want to be able to use all of the cotton that I produce in my own textile. Um, So that's the long-term goal. And we'll we'll just keep, keep on keeping on until we reach that level. And then who knows what else is after that. Yeah. And just talking about bringing new things into the world, you have kind of a fun (laughs) announcement. Yeah. So last fall, about the time that we were bringing towels into the world, um, I found out that I was pregnant. And so that just 
immediately informed what was next for for me and for us as a company is I wanted to um, create a line of baby bedding that was just and good and honest and um, local is what I was making for adults. So I'm really excited to bring um, the real baby into the world and this um, this textile baby into the world too. Um, we'll be launching baby linens, which will include fitted sheets, crib skirts, and little baby quilts, um, all made with 100% cotton batting from our farm manufactured in Waco, Texas. Um, those will launch in mid to late April. So, so exciting. And what a great feeling to think, okay, now I get to pass this on to another generation. Exactly. And, and as a female, so I'm going to be having a little girl, um, uh-huh. and to one of, um, one of the doctors asked what it was, what I wanted it to look like, um, having my baby at home and, and, you know, as, as she continues to grow, like, what was my plan? I guess they're used to a lot of people like, well, I'm going to go back to work in six months. Uh-huh. Um, but my response was, I just want to put together a plan where we can work together. She goes with me and, and she learns the business too, as, as a female entrepreneur. Um, and I could not be more excited about that aspect of it too. So good. Well, when does the baby line launch? Um, I think we're shooting for about April 20th. Okay, great. And where can people buy your linens and products? The full line. You can always find us at redlandcotton.com. And if you're ever in the Moulton, Alabama area, you can stop by and meet us in person at the Dry Cleaners Turn Linen Store um, on the downtown square in Moulton. Awesome. And how do people keep up with Redland Cotton online and on social media? Yeah. Well, you know, the whole idea was kind of spawned by an Instagram post. So we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're on there every day. Um, and then Facebook too. We're active on there every single day. Um, and then I try to be pretty um, gracious in my email distribution. I know not everybody <laughs> likes to be um, swarmed with emails. Um, but you can always sign up for our newsletter on our website. Sounds great. And I will also say, if you want to learn how cotton is grown, because I grew up in a part of the country where cotton wasn't grown, and so I've been checking out your YouTube videos. Yes. And your dad does a great job of just explaining to people all every part of the process. So yes. I would encourage everybody to go check those out too. He's a hoot. Yeah. Well, Anna, thank you so much for being with us today. What an incredible journey. We're so excited for everything that's ahead for you too. And um, we'll keep following along. And we also want to do a a follow-up episode maybe this fall with your dad where he can share like more of the farming side of the business. So yeah, and that will be hysterical. (laughs) I I guarantee it. Well, we look forward to it. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. What a great story. I so appreciate the hard work and commitment from Anna and her dad, Mark, to bring American-made linens and towels back to our homes. And it's great to see that their determination to not compromise is paying off. And remember that baby line Anna mentioned? Well, it just went live today and it's absolutely adorable. 
We've got a few pictures on our blog and you can head to redlandcotton.com to see the full product line. Thanks again to Anna for being on today's podcast and we look forward to hearing from her dad about the farming side of this business later in the year. And thanks to you for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Have a great day.